on, tell somebody else he reigns as you're seated tonight. Come on, tell somebody. Somebody really needs to hear it. Come on, tell him he reigns, he reigns, he reigns. Come on, I don't hear me anybody saying it but me. He reigns, he reigns, he reigns. You need to show up at work tomorrow just telling people he reigns. People are like, I'm just, I'm just trying to copy some things on the copier. I don't care, he reigns. He reigns. I'm just trying to get some gasoline. I just want to tell you he reigns. Come on, everybody say he reigns. He reigns. What a powerful reminder. All right. Well, listen, if you have your copy of God's word, I want you to take it out and turn to the gospel of John. The gospel of John chapter 2. And uh, I, feel like, uh, I feel like God's given me some good stuff to share tonight, some stuff that's going to help us and challenge us and grow us. How many people know that sometimes with growth comes growing pains? It's not always easy. Um, just a confession. Can I just share a confession? So, you know, I, I, I share uh, here from time to time, you know, I, I, uh, I work really hard and very intentional to stay way ahead of my preaching calendar. Uh, generally in September, I set my entire preaching calendar for the next year. So I'm always, I always got voices in my head. This is the life of a pastor. There's always conversations in the back of my head, just always things, people I need to call, stuff I need to follow up on, things God's telling me. And so I'm just always inserting those in notes, and God will just give me ideas and thoughts. And, and uh, so, so I'm always ahead. And then as I start coming up on a series, I just really dig in and spend a lot of time of prayer and focus on that. And as the week's coming up, I just really kind of solidify everything. So I'm always way ahead. However... This has been a, uh, just a, an exceptionally busy season in my life. My life's always busy, but exceptionally busy. And so I'm just going, this is just a confession. I didn't know I was preaching tonight until Sunday when Pastor Ryan announced it. <laughs> it took my youth pastor making an announcement for me to realize. He's like, well, don't make sure you're here first Wednesday. Pastor Steve's bringing the word. I'm like, oh, it is first Wednesday, ain't it? Now I don't even know what I'm going to preach about. So. However, here's the good news is, man, if you'll spend some time with Jesus, he'll speak to you. Listen, if you'll lean in, he'll talk to you. And so, uh, man, I, I just really believe that God's, uh, God's given me some things to share tonight. And so I want to encourage you to, to open your heart up and allow the Spirit of God to come in and speak to you and challenge us and grow us. And again, man, I just trust that God's going to use this to, to change and grow all of us. So if you're, to- if you're taking notes, I don't often... Uh, at least I don't announce it. I don't often entitle messages, but if you've got to write something down uh, tonight, I want to talk about look what I found. Everybody say, look what I found. Look what I found. I, John chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. Come on, say, look what I found. John chapter 2, this is what's recorded early on in the ministry of Jesus. This is right after he gains his, his followers. And it says this, verse 13, now the Passover of the, Jew, of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple. Come on, everybody say that. What happened? He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then His disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Look what I found. It's funny when I think about that phrase, I can think about in my life things that I have found. 
I, uh, especially when I was a kid, I used to run up on stuff all the time. Anybody, I'm just curious, like, how many people have stumbled, like, you have found stuff, maybe stuff of value, walking down the street, walking on, how many people have found some stuff? And what's, what's crazy is when you find stuff, like, you don't want to keep, you never just keep it to yourself. Like, that's the thing, when you find something, like, you want to announce it, hey, man, look what I found. And you want to show people, like, all throughout my life, I have found money, not found any recently, unfortunately. But especially when I was a kid, I'm telling you, I used to find money all the time. And I used to think this, finders keepers, baby, losers weepers. Your loss is my gain. I don't know who, I don't know who lost it, but I'm glad I'm the one who found it. Come on, somebody. And uh, I, I used to find, uh, when I was a kid, used to find four-leaf clovers all the time. Just kind of a weird, a weird thing. And again, when you find something, come on, what do you say? Hey, hey, look what I found. Everybody say, look what I found. Uh, several years ago, I was on vacation with, uh, with my family, with, actually with my wife's family. And, uh, and some of us, we were walking out of the restaurant and actually found on the ground uh, a baggie full of drugs. Now, the irony of that is, for, we didn't use them. Y'all like, well, what did you do with them? I mean I, I mean, I hate that you went there. But the irony is that I'm a pastor, and he's a drug task force agent, and we're the ones that found the drugs. But I mean, like, I mean I'm like, oh, my gosh, look what we found. I mean, it was like, like, Shauna didn't want us to turn it in, but I was like, babe, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> if you knew my wife, she is the most innocent, pure person Ever. I tried to corrupt her when we were dating, and she wasn't having it. I tried to corrupt her, and she consecrated me. Come on. I'm glad it worked out the other way around. Come on. Uh, several years ago, we were out, and uh, we were on a serve day event, and we had hundreds of people from our church. By the way, we have a serve day, serve week coming up. So I would encourage you, man, we're a church that gets outside of these doors, and we go serve our community. We don't want to sit. We want to serve. And so we were on one of, these, one of these serve events, and we were out just picking up trash, and we're walking down the road, and uh, someone had found a purse, like, tossed back in the weeds. And again, no, no, like, this person didn't just hold it to themselves. Like, when they found the purse, come on, you know what they said? Look what I found. It's crazy. This purse had everything, all the ID, all the credit cards, had a big old ring of keys. It was actually a pretty decent purse. It was in bad shape from being weathered. But it had everything in it. Evidently, someone had stole it. We actually got a hold of this lady. Someone had busted her window, took her purse, and it seems like they just took the cash and, and chucked it. But again, here's the thing is, we often, I often find things, and anytime I find something, I don't keep it to myself. Like, there's this announcement that comes out of me that I just got to tell some people, hey, look what I found. Come on, y'all got to help me. Look what I found. And when somebody says, look what I found, the emphasis isn't on the person who's finding it. The emphasis is on what's being found. So when I say, look what I found, it's not, hey, look at me, it's look at this. And the reason that's important is because when you read the New Testament and you read through the life of Jesus, actually this is found throughout the Bible from beginning to end, but specifically in the life of Jesus, you'll find over and over basically him say those words, or it'll point to that in his life where he's like, hey, look what I found. Here's some things that Jesus found in his life that he wants us, and again, the emphasis isn't on just who found them. The emphasis that Jesus is trying to make is on what's found. There's a time Jesus is walking down the road and he looks at a fig tree. The fig tree should have fruit on it because it's that time of the season. Jesus is frustrated that the fig tree doesn't have fruit, so he curses the fruit or the tree. But before he curses it, he says this. He says, and he did, the word says, and he didn't find any fruit on the tree. Come on, how many people know God wants to find some fruit in our lives? 
And so again, what I want you to see, though, is that Jesus didn't find any fruit. You find another one where the Bible tells us that Jesus found his disciples sleeping. They should have been praying, but they weren't praying. Instead, they were sleeping. Come on, that's some of our story. And the Bible makes it really clear that, that Jesus found his disciples asleep. Again, the emphasis is not on what Jesus, that Jesus found them, but what Jesus found. Instead of people being diligent in prayer, staying focused in the middle of a difficult season, they passed out and they lost interest. There's another place where Jesus comes across a man who's believing for his servant to be healed. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm all about healing people because that's Jesus. Come on, if you know he's all about healing. And he, and he says, he says, I'll come to your house right now. And the man, the centurion says, listen, you ain't got to come to my house. You've got so much power and you've got so much authority. You don't even got to come where, where the sick servant is. Just say the word here and he'll be healed over there. And Jesus says this. He said, I've never found such great faith in all of Israel. Again, the emphasis that Jesus is pointing to is not who found it, but what was found. Come on, Jesus is looking for some fruit in our lives. Jesus is looking for us to be diligent in difficult seasons. Jesus is looking for us. Come on, somebody. He is looking for us in every season of life to make sure that we are, we have great faith. You find another one where Jesus finds Philip and John. He comes across the disciples and he finds his people that are outcasts in society and he calls them to be followers. There's no person with any background that's not good enough to follow Jesus, not because of how good you are, but because of how good he is. And when he calls you to follow, you better answer. But he finds us first. Jesus found Lazarus in the grave after four days. Again, it's God's word saying, man, this person, look, Jesus ain't like, look what I found. I found a person that's been dead for four days. What do you think I can do with that? And we're like, uh, have a funeral? And Jesus, no, look what, look what I found. I found a dead man been dead four days, and we read the rest of the story, and Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the grave. And in the story we're reading here, again, what I want you to see is it's not so much, though it's important who found it, what Jesus is trying to draw our attention to is what he found in the temple. And we find Jesus goes in and he finds all of this, and we'll get into what's happening, but he finds some stuff he's not down with. And the Bible says, John writes that he went and made a, a whip of cords. Y'all remember anybody grow up here where you didn't get time out, you got time knocked out? Anyone <laughs> time, like... Like, my timeout was, timeout, stop beating me. I need a timeout. Timeout. So Jesus, this is great. Jesus is so upset at what's happening, he goes in with a whip of cords and starts driving people out. And the reason I find this interesting is a lot of people have a mentality that Jesus is this pasty, Nobody, meek and mild, just shy, quiet. No, Jesus rolls up. He's a carpenter's son, which means he's been moving heavy lumber his whole life. He rolls into the temple, and nobody's able to stand up to him, not because he's God, just because he's a strong man, even though he is God in the flesh, with a whip of cords and drives some people out of church. Come on. That would make a good church service right there. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is really making an important statement in front of his disciples very early on in their discipleship. Again, this is in John chapter 2, so it's very early in the ministry of Jesus. This is right after he's picked up, at least that we know of, at least four of his disciples. So we don't know if all 12 are here. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But we know at least four are here. And Jesus gets four followers. He takes them right to the temple. He gets there. He sees what's going on. 
and he lets them know how he feels about what he found. Come on, everybody say, I found something. And he gets here, and he's just so upset that he drives people out. Let me ask you a question. What makes you mad? What makes you mad in life? What, what do you get fired up about? What ticks you off? What peels your banana? I just made that up, as you could tell. Like, what fires you up? I mean, some of us in this room, we get, we get fired up at the pace that somebody else is driving, or we get upset at, you know, we get upset, I get upset at some silly things. There are some things, though, I think that are worthwhile getting upset about. I think as a culture, I think as a community, I think we ought to get upset at injustice. I think regardless of who it happens to, race, color, sex, or creed, come on, somebody, I think we ought to get upset at injustice. I think we, I think we ought to get upset that, that women are, are physically abused. I think there ought to be some kind of response when we find out children are sexually abused. I think there ought to be some kind of response at crime and hate and bitterness in our community. Come on, there ought to be some. So we get upset at a lot of silly things. There ought to be some things that I think deserve a response that we ought to get angry about. I want you to know the same way we get angered about injustice, you know where we get that from? We get that from our Father because we've been made in His image. He also, come on, we have a Heavenly Father who gets fired up. Jesus gets jacked up at some things He don't agree with. And he sees this going down, and he goes in, and he starts running these people off. And so check this out. In verse 14, here's where it went down. What Jesus found, again, says in verse 14, and he found in the temple. Everybody say, I found something. So where he finds this event happening and going down, and this is really important where we're going to go tonight, is he finds this event going down in the temple. The temple was synonymous with the presence of God. Every Jew knew that where you go to meet with God, where you go to connect with God, where you go to worship God, where you go to encounter God is in the temple. And so it was never understood in the modern mind of a Jew that you could just connect with God out in the wilderness somewhere. Their mindset was that there was a central place of worship that you go, that's where I go to connect with God. And so what you find is that in the middle of this place where God's presence should have been represented, it was in the temple that people connected with their creator. Like it was in the temple, it was in the temple where people found a solution for their sin. Out wandering in the world, like, what do I do with my brokenness? What do I do with my hurt? They would go to the temple and they would find out it's in the temple where God's presence deals with my sin. It's in, it's in the temple where I find peace in the middle of my chaos. Come on, does anybody find some peace sometimes when you come to church, when God's presence comes down and worship? Anybody find some peace? Like that was the temple then. It was like the Old Testament church. They just knew that that's where God's presence physically dwelt. The Spirit of God hung out in the temple, and so people would go there to find a solution to their sin, to find peace in the chaos, to find, to find the focus of their worship. It was all about the temple. And Jesus goes into the temple and what he finds gets him a bit upset. And here's what he finds, verse 14. And he found in the temple, come on, read it with me, those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. And some of you have heard, who've heard this story, and, like, and he goes on, he says this, like, you've made my father's house like a house of merchandise. And I, it's funny because people are like, well, I can't believe you sell T-shirts here because God's house shouldn't be a house of merchandise. Okay, Skippy, that's not what this means. And I don't know about you, but I like our coffee and I like me some Faith Church merch. Anybody else down with me? That's not what's happening here. The reason Jesus 
is upset specifically is because some stuff that gets us upset. Anybody know like all around us, at least in my life, this happens on the daily, is somebody's trying to scam me. This is true. Every single day I get a text from an unknown source and it's always someone trying to pose as Amazon. Click this link so you can reset your password. Come on, man. I, wasn't, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. What they're trying to do is they're fishing for you to try to give them access because once you log into their phony Amazon account, they got your login credentials. And as soon as you log out of their phony account, they're going to use your login credentials to log into the real account and clean you out. And I get phishing emails, do the same thing, trying to get me to log into my bank. Anybody get these? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. Like all the time on text, there's all of these crazy things. And if you've never gotten the ones through text and you've never gotten the one through email, come on, everybody's got the one from the Nigerian. <laughs> Where I know it's fake, but there's part of me for half a second, I'm like, hmm. I mean, he's only asking for $500 and I get $5 million. No, come on in. It's crazy. And when I see that and I find out, or these IRS scams, you got some IRS agent calls you and tells you about to go to jail and you got to run to, like, and it's crazy. Don't run to the bank. Run to Walmart and charge up $500 cards and call them. Come on, man. Listen, I'm not falling for that. You're just trying to get my money. What was happening in the temple that Jesus is so upset about is a lot like the modern-day scams that people try to pull on us. People trying to rob us of something of value, that's what was happening in the temple. That's what was happening where people should have been experiencing the presence of God. They were being ripped off by the people of God. And so what was happening was kind of this trifecta of scams. Here's what was going down. So... In the temple where God's presence was represented, where God's presence was, where people found the solution to sin, where people connected with their creator, there was a group of people called the temple priests. It was the temple priests that would intercede on behalf of the everyday person. And so everyday people like you and I, we would go to the temple to experience God's presence, to get forgiveness of our sin, and we would go and we would take specifically on the day mentioned in this text called the day of Passover, which was a Jewish high holy day, and we would take a sacrifice, and we would take our sacrifice, and we would give it to a priest, and a priest would take our sacrifice, and they would sacrifice that, that lamb or that goat or that dove, whatever we took, they would sacrifice it on our behalf as a go-between between us and God, and we would walk out knowing we're free, knowing I'm forgiven, knowing my sin is, de is dealt with, knowing I connect with my creator, and so it was a place where people, everyday people could connect with God. And so what's happening in this text is Jesus shows up, and instead of everyday people being connected with God by these priests, they're scamming the people. And here was the threefold scam. Part of the job of the priest, the temple priest, was to look at a sacrifice an everyday person would bring and evaluate it for its worthiness to be sacrificed to God. Which means it was up to the priest to determine, is there anything wrong with it? Is, is it, is it, does, it got a, does it got a wandering eye? I can't do it because I don't have wandering eyes. Like, does it have a notch out of his ear? Does it have a crooked leg? Is it lame? Because you couldn't offer, come on, and we still, we still serve a God today who always deserves the first and the best. And so the temple priests, it was their job to filter the sacrifice to make sure God only got the best. And so somebody would bring their sacrifice and give it to the priest, and it was the priest's job to inspect it and hand it back and say, pass or fail. If 
Under normal circumstances, a person had a sacrifice that failed the test. Good news was, right around the corner, there was somebody selling sacrifices. It's kind of like when you go to the, you know, you go to the movie, like you can't, you can't take your own popcorn in. You can take your own candy in the movie theater. If you got a way to get popcorn in, we need to talk. Like that's the secret right there. Like they got you. You, you got to pay whatever they say because you want popcorn. You got to get it in the theater, right? So they would say, hey, your, your, your sacrifice didn't pass the test, but right around the corner, I got a buddy selling some sheep. You can go buy one from him. They're already certified, grade A. And they would go by and bring it back, and the, it would pass the test. However, these three different people got in on a scam. First level of the scam was the priest. The priest, regardless of the sacrifice you brought, would say, your sacrifice ain't no good. And they would reject it knowing that they were going to send you to the second person in the scam. And that's the person right around the corner selling sheep. And they would know, listen, if I reject this person's sheep and I get them to buy one of your sheep, we'll split the profits. Y'all hearing me? And so first person, the priest would reject a worthy sacrifice, send it to a sheep salesman right around the corner. They would sell the sheep at an exuberant price. Hey, if you want to connect with God, you got to have a sacrifice, and yours did not no good, but I'll sell you mine. And then they would do this. The person would be like, well, I want to connect with God, but I need a sacrifice. And so they would reach in their pocket to come out with money to pay for the sacrifice. And what the average person had at this time was they had Roman coins. At this point, the person selling the sacrifice would say, well, I would love to sell my sacrifice to you so you can go connect with God, but unfortunately, we only take temple money here. If, if, if you want to buy my sacrifice, you're going to have to go to my third friend who's right over here, and he'll exchange your money. He'll exchange Roman coin for temple coin. Well, you would go over there, and what you'd find is this guy wasn't given a fair exchange rate. So they were getting ripped off by the person exchanging their money to go buy a sacrifice at an exorbitant price so they could take it to the priest who said it wasn't any good in the first place when it was so it can get to God. Jesus showed up and said, this is a bunch of foolishness. The purpose of the temple is so people can connect with their creator, and y'all are making it hard. Y'all are scamming people, and you're keeping them away from me. And the whole reason that Jesus came was to reconnect people with their creator. The whole reason Jesus showed up is we live in a world of people who's making it hard to know Jesus. Jesus, making it hard to love God. You got to follow my rules. You got to show up dressed my way. You got to talk my talk. Come on, you got to come to my church. Come on. And Jesus said, no, no, it's none of that foolishness. Jesus said, I came to be the way, the truth, and the life. No more of all of these paths you got to get through. Now there's only one path, and it's Jesus. He came to move all the hard stuff out of the way. This is good news. That means no matter who you are and what you've been through, there's a path for you to connect with your creator. There's a way for you to find forgiveness for your sin. There's a way for you to find a person to receive your worship, and it's always through Jesus. He came to make the way easy. Come on, somebody. And so if you're taking notes, what Jesus found in the temple was making it difficult for people to connect with God. And when he found it, he lost his mind. And again, Jesus, the whole reason he came was to move stuff out of our way. And so when he sees this happening again, verse 17, he drives all these people out. Jesus, he doesn't sin. The Bible says you can be angry and not sin. Jesus doesn't sin because he never sinned. But he gets, he gets fired up. He drives all the money changes out. He drives the corrupt priests out. He drives the, 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 the sheep salesmen out. In verse 17, when his disciples see it, they say this. Then his disciples remember what was written. Come on, y'all read this with me. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. If you're taking notes, God is passionate 
about people pursuing him. We have four core values here as a church. Reach, connect, grow, and serve. Reach, connect, grow, and serve. We think it's important. We think we're called to reach people who are far from God. We don't want to sit here and hope they show up. We want to create incredible environments that they want to show up. And if they don't show up, we want to make sure we're passionate enough and motivated enough to go get them. We want to make sure that we're going after them and we're inviting them. Come on, somebody. That means every one of you in this room, you ought to care enough about your friends and enough about your family members that you're willing to invite them and know that you're going to, be, you're going to put them in the presence of God. You're going to show them in a great service, and we believe the Holy Spirit's going to get a hold of their hearts. God's passionate about people pursuing him. Now, let me ask you a question. So Jesus shows up. He finds all of this craziness happening. He's upset, again, because his motivation is for people to be able to connect with him. That's why Jesus came, because there was no way for everyday people to be saved. And so Jesus came to make it easy for people to connect with God. That's his passion. So, again, the Bible says when he gets to the temple, he found in the temple. Come on, I found something. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus was surprised by what he found. Do you think Jesus was, do you think Jesus showed up and be like, oh, I never. Now, how many people know, man, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh? How many people know that he knew exactly what he was going to find? That's why he went there. How many people know that he knew what he was going to find when he got there? So if Jesus knew what he was going to find when he got there and he purposely went there with his disciples, then you better believe he was trying to tell not just the people in the temple who were corrupt. He was trying to paint a picture for his disciples who are you and I 2,000 years later. He was trying to teach us a lesson that we need to know. God wanted us to know something about God and something about ourselves when it comes to the temple. Watch, read verse 18 right after all this happens. So the Jews answered and said to him, this is after he drove everybody out. What sign do you show us since you do these things? Basically, they're like, let's see your credentials. Like, you just disrupted church. Who do you, th this is them saying, who do you think you are? I love it. Jesus, here's his answer. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Now, when Jesus says that, the, all the Jewish religious leaders think that Jesus is talking about this physical, huge physical structure of the temple. They think Jesus is saying, hey, tear this whole building down and I can, I can fix it in three days. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Here's how I know. Watch. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? And he was speaking, come on, everybody say this with me. He was speaking of the temple of his Come on, y'all read it again. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, he had risen from the dead. His disciples remembered what he said when he said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus was said. So basically, you fast forward three years. When Jesus died, his body went into a tomb, and three days later, he rose it up. The disciples remembered him saying, hey, when the temple got tore down, he would raise it up in three days. He was never talking about a building. He was talking about his body. Come on, how do you know we serve a resurrected Savior, and if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if he dwells in you, if that same Jesus is in you, he can resurrect marriages, and he can resurrect homes, and he can resurrect lives. Come on, if the power of God can get dead Jesus out of a grave, he can get living problems restored. Come on, there's nothing too difficult for God. Temple history real quick, let me just lay this down. Jesus is talking about his body. The they thought he was talking about a building. 
just give you a quick scope of temple history. This place where the Jews for about 1,500 years went to worship God, to connect with their creator, to find a solution for sin, it started all the way back with this guy by the name of Moses. Moses was used by God to bring the people of God out of bondage to the enemy. When he gets out in the wilderness, God gives him instructions to build this thing that's eventually called the tabernacle. Everybody say the tabernacle. The word tabernacle means a dwelling place. It wasn't the place that people hung out at. It was the place that God's presence hung out at. What God was saying is there will always be a place where you can come and connect with me. And so Moses constructed this thing called the tabernacle. And what was special about the tabernacle was it was portable. Come on, people got a problem with portable church. I want you to know that, that God was the originator of portable church. And so basically as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, every time they would stop and set up camp, God's, they would set up the tabernacle and God's presence was right there. And when they would get up and move and they would go to the next spot, God's presence was with them where they were walking. God's presence was with them where they landed. I want you all to know something. God is still the same. He's with you where you are. He's with you in the process and he's with you where you land. God's presence is with us. And so that was the tabernacle that was built around 1500 BC, the tabernacle. And once God's people got into the promised land and they got settled in, they started unpacking their boxes and they started setting up shop. They shut down the tabernacle and David's son, King David's son Solomon built a permanent structure. They went from portable to permanent and they built what was called the temple. And it was, the it was the, for the exact same purpose. The only difference was the tabernacle was portable, the temple was permanent, but it was still the place that they would go to worship God. It was still the place that they would go to encounter God's presence, to be, find the solution for their sin. It was still the central hub where they would go. And it's for hundreds of years they went. About 960 B.C. is when the temple was built. 586 B.C. Babylonians come in and destroy the temple. They're not serving God. God allows this army to raise up, and they destroy the temple. Some of you, if you read your Bible, you all would know this. Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah is about the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, going in and rebuilding the temple and what was eventually become known as the second temple. So it went from the tabernacle to the first temple to the second temple. The second temple wasn't near as nice as the first temple. So you fast forward now about 500 years. At this point, the Roman Empire has taken over the entire area. The Jewish nation is still going to this place to worship God. This guy by the name of King Herod, he takes over this tiny territory, King Herod, on behalf of the Caesar, and he rules this area. All the Jewish people hate him. He's a nobody. He's a loser. So in order to gain their favor, he goes in and he doubles down on the temple, and he makes it more extravagant than the first one was. And that's why the Bible says, hey, this temple's been being built for 46 years is because Herod took the temple that was rebuilt by Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, and he added to it, and he had been working on it at this point for almost 50 years. This is important. And at this place, listen, it wasn't no longer about a building because when Jesus showed up, God's presence wasn't hanging out in a building. God, God's presence was in his son. 
Come on, this y'all got to get this. That means everywhere Jesus went, God's building was God's presence wasn't contained to to four walls, a roof, and a building. God's presence was contained on the inside of His Son Jesus, and so it went from a tabernacle to a temple to a second temple to the Son of God. Here's the good news: it didn't stop there because after Jesus rose from the dead and went back to heaven, He sent the Spirit of God who now dwells on the inside of every one of us. And now the Bible says this. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you, everybody say me. Look at the person next to you and say you. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? Which means God doesn't just hang out in the praises of his people. God hangs out in the people of his praises. God doesn't hang out here in this building waiting for you to show up. When you walk out of this place, he's hanging out with you. He's going where you are. He's going into the workplace and he's going into the home and he's going into your battles and struggles and opportunity. Come on, God's going into the business deal with you, which means you ought to be excited that God is with you. Come on, he's your shield and your rear guard. He's a strong tower that you run into. He's your alpha and your omega. He knows your beginning and your end. And he's with you every day, every second, every place, every opportunity. God is no longer in a building and he's not just in his son. He's in every one of us, his sons and daughters, from a tabernacle to a temple to another temple to his son, to you and I as believers. God's presence is in us, which makes us the temple. We're the temple. So this is real important. I know I'm giving you a lot, but listen. So this temple tale that I'm telling you, the temple tale about Jesus walking in and driving money changers out of a place that was making it difficult for regular people to encounter their creator. You fast forward and now we're the temple. And I want you to know the passion of our God has not diminished to reach lost people. And he's still moving through a temple. It's just not a building. So he's just as passionate about reaching people. But now he put his presence in his people. And so here's the question. Come on, in this temple tale, the story's about you and I now. The question we got to wrestle with as we look at this is, what would he find in you? He found in the temple then some stuff that was keeping everyday people away from their creator. The question is, if we're the temple, what's what's he going to find in you that's keeping you from connecting with your creator? Or more importantly, what would he find in you that would keep others from connecting with their creator? I, uh, I told you all a few weeks ago, I, I watched um, <laughs> Naked and Afraid. I got a couple other confessions. I don't watch anything good. And I'm just telling you, I just can't stop watching this stuff. My 600-pound life, I'm fascinated. I've been trying to lose some weight lately. People have been recognizing, y'all right? I'm working hard. You, you, no, no. You want to know what the secret is? I started watching my 600-pound life. I was like, if I don't do something, that's me. 600-pound life, best diet fad ever. <laughs> Naked and afraid captures my attention. My 600-pound life. I mean, man, I'm, if you've never seen it, just give it a whirl. Never mind. I can, like, I just go so far, and Lord's like, ah, don't. Holy Spirit's like, big picture, big picture, big picture. <laughs> Here's another show uh, I still watch, and I, I didn't watch this for a while, but I started watching it again, is Hoarders. Anybody watch Hoarders? 
Hoarders, you don't know hoarders. I'm just people like, what are hoarders? Hoarders are these people, and they're people. So we want to empathize with them, and we'll pray for them from here. <laughs> Basically, they, and it's because a lot of times, honestly, I, I, don't want, I don't want to make fun of them. Don't anybody write me letters. You're so mean. A lot of times they got just some emotional stuff, and so they can't throw anything away, and it goes from, and we all know, everybody in this room, and some of you, this is, you're them. You're not, you're, not, you're not a TLC hoarder yet. You ain't made the show, but you're getting close. Some of those hoarders are people that just can't throw anything away, and you go to the basement, and when you go to the basement, it's not an open room. Like, you got to get from one side of the basement like this. Because there's so much stuff. You can't get in the attic. You can't get in the garage. Well, they go from that. So they can't throw trash away, and you gotta, and you watch this, and people are living in mounds of trash. And I can't stop watching it. And there's dead kitty cats. This lady had, they're like, How many cats do you have? And she didn't say it, but she should have said, Are we talking about dead ones or alive ones? And I like five alive, but I got I got a lot of dead ones. We don't know where they're at. I think there are a couple's under that box over there. I got a couple under the dresser. It's crazy. And you look at it and you think, how did, for real, this is just me. How did that person, real talk, for, it's for real. Don't make me laugh. I'm trying to get serious now. He's funny. Now I'm trying to change gears. You guys won't let me. So at some point, this person at some point, this person kept one thing that they should have thrown away. And it's this one thing. I mean, I got a big, I got a 2,300-square-foot house. That table that I'm never going to use, it's got a busted leg. It's, I'm, it's important. I'm going to keep it. And then they save two things. And then five things. And it's, what I'm saying is at some point, it just started as a small thing until it took over the house. And what I'm trying to tell you is at some point, I don't know when it happened, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I don't think just all of a sudden the entire sacrificial system happening in the temple came corrupt. I think just one priest had an idea like, I can make some money on this. And it went from one person who got an idea, who started executing his idea, that got his homeboy around the corner, the sheep salesman involved, and they together went and talked to the coin exchanger, got him involved, and then it happened once, and it was easy, to some quick money, then it happened two times five, then it started happening every time someone came to the temple, they couldn't connect with their creator because of garbage that was happening in the house. What I'm trying to tell you is that there's some of us in this room, including me, that sometimes, I don't even know how I got where I got, but I allow some stuff to get in my life and it's hindering me from connecting my because I'm the temple and there's people who's trying to come to me that can't get to my God through me not come on now I'm not saying I'm the intervener it wasn't the building it was God's presence in the building God's trying to connect with people through me but because of garbage I've let in my life it's not happening come on someone say look what I found I've come to tell you there's some stuff in your life if you'll just pay attention Jesus he's gonna lay a finger on your heart and say man look what I found and it's not a compliment it's something you need to get rid of it's something we need to throw away because it's keeping people from connecting to Christ through us. If you're taking notes, never get comfortable with clutter that crowds out God. Never get comfortable. Never get comfortable with the thing. Never get comfortable with the attitude. Never get comfortable with the bitterness. Never get comfortable with the thing in your life that's crowding God out of your life or keeping people from connecting to God in your life. Sometimes there's stuff in us that gets in the way of what God wants to do through us. Can I just get an amen? 
Sometimes there's stuff in your life and in mine that gets in God's way of what he wants to do through my life. When you read the Bible, oftentimes what is reflected in the temple is what comes through the tongue. Y'all hear what I'm telling you? You want to know what's in the temple, listen to what comes through the tongue. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which means I know what's in your heart by what's coming out of your words. And then you get all the way over to James, and James picks up this thought about the tongue being tied to the temple, and he says this, James chapter 3, verse 12, this is awesome. He says, no, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. I, we live in a world that's thirsty. And they're doing everything they can to satisfy their thirst on every opportunity that this world will give them. And there is nothing that this world can give that can satisfy the human thirst that God created us with, but God himself. And God is saying, but back in the day, I had a temple where people could go and could experience me. And then I moved from the tabernacle to a temple and from a temple to another temple and then to my son Jesus. But now God says, now you're my temple. And so God says, I'm going to put people in your path and I'm going to allow you to connect with people that the thirst they have can be satisfied when you tell them about the Christ you found. But if you allow yourself to be filled up with garbage, it's going to keep people from connecting from you. And the way you're going to know it's happening is when people come for fresh water, they're going to get a salty spring. Come on, we got some salty people in the house. Saltiness is bitterness. Listen, I, and I know, because you're going to tell me, well, Pastor, I'm in church. I ain't talking about you being in church. I'm talking, well, how do you talk about church? Yeah, I go to church, but, man, there's some people there have been getting on my nerves. I can't believe what this one person said. I mean, you, you know, and my pastor, I mean, you wouldn't even believe some stuff my pastor says on the platform. He don't even love Jesus. But you should come to my church. Don't nobody want to go to a church that's talked about like that. Come on, man, some of you, I get it. Again, I don't know how it gets there. I don't know how it starts. It starts with just one thing we let in our life that we should have thrown away, that we should have discarded, that we should have given to God. Instead, we just store it, and then we store the next hurt and the next heartache and the next gossip and the next slander and the next backbite and the next garbage in our life and the next dirty joke and the next bad attitude, and it just keeps mounting up. And listen to me, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God's still going to send people in your path. The question is, can they get to the God you're connected with? And come on, with God garbage in you and the answer is no so at some point we got to allow Jesus to come one more time and clean the temple out that's what we're here for tonight because Jesus doesn't just do it once he actually does it twice he does it at the beginning of his ministry and he does it at the end the first cleaning happened after 400 years of silence God just quit talking for 400 years no prophet no written word nothing so maybe it made sense that they started making some bad decisions in the temple but then Jesus had been in that area for three years, working miracles, changing lives. And you get in the middle of all that. And after three years, Jesus cleaned it out once, and three years later, he goes back and it's cluttered up again. Come on, y'all know the junk drawer you clean out like every four months? Now listen, and I don't know about you guys, but I set some rules. I, I put my foot down in my house. Now listen, just so we know, no more junk in the junk drawer. That's it. I'm not cleaning this drawer out again. No more. And like our next, like two days later, I pull it open. I'm like, that don't go there. Anybody know what? Like it's just, I don't know. It just naturally fills back up. I'm not telling you it's okay to have garbage in. What I'm telling you is it happens. God wants us to get the garbage out of our heart 
God wants us to be a fresh spring, not a salty spring. Because he's going to put people in your path that need him. And so Jesus goes back to the temple at the end of his ministry. Matthew 21, 12. I'm almost done. Listen to this. It says, then Jesus went into the temple of God. And he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Don't you love it? He didn't need to take a cord this time. They seen him coming. They're like, uh-oh. I'm out. But notice the same people get back doing the same garbage. In verse 13, and he said to them, everybody read this. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Instead of it being a place where people can connect with their creator, he says this. He calls it a den of thieves. This idea is this dark cave. Instead of this place of light and this place of joy, you've made it a dark, dank cave. And then verse 14, I think, is a powerful verse. It says, after he drove them out, verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Did you all see that? You know what, it, what made it possible for those people to get healed and delivered? They could get into the temple. You know what it made it possible for them to get into the temple? Jesus moved the junk out of the way. I'm just telling you, tomorrow... You're going to show up at school, and you're going to show up on campus, and you're going to show up in work, and you're going to connect with your mom's group, and you're going to, you're going to show up at your Weight Watchers group because you won't be on 600-pound life, and you, whatever you're, wherever you're going, I'm just telling you right now, listen to me. There's going to be some people that are thirsty. There's going to be some people that need the God you serve. They need to find the Jesus that found you. And as long as you're filled with the garbage, it can't happen. But when that stuff gets moved out of the way, all the broken people came in and started getting healed. Man, that's that's so powerful. I'm just telling you, imagine what God can do if we say, God, I know I'm your temple. I just don't want to be a place where your presence dwells. I want to be a place and a person where people can access what's in me, that they can get a hold of who you are through my life. Come on. I want to be the kind of person that changes the room, that changes the environment, that changes the workplace, but we can't do it with garbage in our place. So Jesus came tonight to clean the temple. So I want everybody in this room, I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Our lives are either a place where people are given opportunities or robbed of opportunities to encounter God. Listen to this again. Our lives, your life, my life, our lives are either a place where people are given opportunities or robbed of opportunities to encounter God. How many of you can be honest enough in this room that maybe, maybe just maybe there's been stuff in your life that's robbed people of opportunities from experiencing God in your life? How many people have been a salty spring? Come on. People coming to you for fresh water and you've been giving them a salty spring. As we get ready to close tonight, I want us to, I want us to pray a prayer that David prayed. Because if you're here and you're, you're lifting your hand about something that happened maybe a year ago, maybe God wants to show you something that happened yesterday. And so here's the prayer that David prayed. In Psalm 139, he says this. He says, search me, O God, and, and, know, and show me what's in my temple. Search me, oh God. You know, you know why we need him to search? Because we overlook stuff. We're not aware of stuff. We forgot about stuff. So God, you come search me. You come search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the path of everlasting. And so, Heavenly Father, just over the next few minutes, I pray that we'd be reminded of your passion, that zeal for your house, zeal for a place where people can encounter Christ. 
I pray, Father God, that we would just reset place. We want to be people. We want to be a place. We want to be a temple where people encounter you. That, God, in our word and our conversations and our actions and our attitudes, that, God, a thirsty world is going to find you. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, I know in my life there's times that that's not possible because of what's in me. And, Father, I know there's people in this room right now, they're honest enough to say, yeah, yeah, that's been me. I've been a salty spring. I've been a, I've been a garbage-filled temple. But, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, we're going to pray a prayer, and I pray the Spirit of God, I pray you'll come and you'll bring revelation. I pray you'll put your finger on it. I pray you'll show us the things that we've allowed to stack up and pile up that we need to get rid of. And so, come on, are you all ready to pray a prayer? I mean, a real prayer. I want every voice. Come on, I want you to bring that verse back up for me, please. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Come on, bring it back on the screen. I want us just to pray this first part. I want you just to say it to me. I want you to say it to the screen. But even as you read it, I want it to be your prayer. Come on, every voice in this room. If you're watching online, you can pray this prayer. Say, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Come on, I want you all just to close your eyes and I want you just to press in for a minute. And if the Spirit of God is putting His finger on something in your life, you know, maybe you're here and it's, it's just condemnation. Maybe what's in you is because you went through a difficult season and now you don't think God really loves you anymore. And so when people come to you about a tough time in their life, you can't really tell them about the, the un, uh, unmistakable, the unconditional love of God because you don't know it yourself. And maybe that's the garbage in your temple tonight that God needs to drive out is you just need to find freedom. You just need to find a, a new beginning. You need to find a cleansing. And so all over this room, we don't hardly ever do this at Faith Church, but I just felt tonight coming in that if you're here in this room and you say, Pastor Steve, I got some stuff in me. I got some attitude in me. I got some issue in my heart, and it's holding me back from God doing something in and through my life. And tonight, I want Jesus to step into this temple, and I want him to drive out the stuff that doesn't belong. I want you to take a step out of your seat, and I want you to just come and hang out here in the front. Come on, all across this room, I want you to come. We're going to pray together, and I'm just going to believe God to do a work in our hearts and a work in our life. Come on, if you're here and you got some stuff in you, you say, God, I just need to get it out. I don't even know how to get it out. I got some stuff in me. I'm not even sure what's there. I need you to take inventory. I, I, I give you permission to, to go through it all. Come on, I want you to move out and come. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Listen, don't wait. Some of you got stuff you don't even know is there, and that just needs to be your prayer game. Lord, you search me. And as we're praying right now, and as we're hanging out in God's presence, you just need to allow him to remind you. Holy Spirit, I pray, remind us, show us, reveal to us the stuff that's there, the things that don't belong. Working in this place. Come on, I want you all to, come on, pull up, pull up, pull up. I want everybody to get in here. Come on, slide down so everybody can get up. Slide down so everybody can get up. I want everybody to get down here. It's not about where you're at. It's just about a place saying, man, God, I want to I want to get with you. Come on. Jesus. You know, just sometimes just through a simple act of obedience, God will change a life. But through a promise, I'm going to tell you, listen, the Bible says if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
of way of saying that in this temple tale is to say this, God, there's some junk in my life I need you to get out. If you'll tell God that, he'll get the junk out. And so everyone up, you, up here, I want you all just to, just to pray this. Say, Jesus, take the stuff that you've shown me out of my life. I don't want to be a salty spring. I want to be a fresh spring. I want to be used by you to reach people far from you. I don't want to be a hindrance. I want people to have access. I want them to see you in me. I want them to hear you in my words. So, Lord, I pray move the stuff out. Cleanse the temple once again. In Jesus' name. Come on, y'all, just open up your hearts. You are here. Jesus. Moving in our midst, I worship you. Come on, Lord, we lay it down. I worship if you didn't come up to this, this man, God can meet you there. You are come here. on, where you're at, just God, we just lay it down. Working Have your way. In this place, I worship you. I worship you. And you are way maker. Miracle worker, promise keep light in the darkness, Jesus. my God. Come that on, is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keep light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Everybody, listen to this. Everybody, look up at me. I said everything I said for the last 40 minutes to get right here. If you look in the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Josiah. Josiah was one of the kings over Judah. His dad and his granddad were horrible kings. They were wicked. The Bible basically breaks down their reign as kings of Judah by saying this, that they were horrible and they did wickedness in the eyes of the Lord. They allowed all kinds of false idol worship into the nation of, uh, of Judah. It was horrible. And then the grandfather dies. The son takes over. He dies, and the grandson takes over. The grandson is the youngest king ever to reign. He's eight years old, and his name is Josiah. Immediately, the story picks up in 2 Kings 22, and also it's found in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. When the story picks up about Josiah, it says he starts, he starts at age eight, and he rules and it says, and Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And it says this, and it says that he started to have a heart like David had. Are you all tracking with me? And he started changing everything his dad and his granddad allowed in that was false idol worship. All the stuff, all the garbage that changed the hearts of people from being people after God to people after idols. He started dealing with all the garbage out here. He started moving into towns and cities and breaking down false idols and destroying all these things people worshipped. And then this great, really crazy thing happened because in the middle there was still the temple. Well, this place, man, it, it kind of needed a makeover. The temple had seen better days, and so Josiah decides he's going he's to give the temple an update. And so he sends his people in to go get money out of the treasury in the temple that they got money to rehab the temple. And so these two guys go in, a, a priest and a scribe, they go in to get money out of the temple, and while they're pulling out money to do the repairs on the temple, they find a copy of the Old Testament law. Come on, somebody. They find the scroll 
They find the Torah, which is the first five books. They find the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They find the scroll. And here for generations, it had been forgotten. So Josiah was doing okay without it. But when, he, when, when, the, when the scribe came and read him, the Bible says he was so broken at the garbage he, that was allowed in the nation that he ripped his clothes and he wept. And he was so moved by what he heard in the word. He was so moved by what he heard in the word. It, I'm telling you, it swept revival over the nation. Here's why I'm telling you this. If some of you have a word in your heart that you forgot about. God gave you a word just like God gave the, the word to the nation of Israel. And because of whatever was happening, they lost track of it. They forgot about it and they quit living according to it. Some of you got a word from God at some point in your life. God spoke something over your life. God spoke potential. God gave some of you a call. God gave some of you a promise. God gave some of you, and he said, man, this is, you're going to do great things for me. And just because of the busyness of life and the distraction of life and the chaos of life, that word got covered up and you forgot about it. I just came to tell you tonight that God's going to bring that word back out of the temple and it's going to transform not only your life, but it's going to transform lives around you. Come on, how many of you in this place, you would say you got a word from God one time, and God needs to renew that word to you. Come on, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this house as we close that forgotten words and buried words and hidden words, I pray God would come out, that they would come to pass, that all the stuff that's covered it up, I pray in Jesus' name that God, we would hear the word once again and that we would walk in it and God, it would move in our lives and in the lives of all those around us, God. I pray reveal the word in our life in Jesus' name. And everybody who received this said amen. Come on, y'all, worship the Lord tonight. Some of you need to get a hold of that. Listen, some of you are going to go home tonight. You're going to stop at Burger King on the way home, and you're going to get one of those fake burgers because you don't want to be on my 600-pound life. So you're going to get the fake burger, and you're going to go home eating your fries and drinking your Coke, and, and then it's going to hit you. Wait, I got a word from the Lord. Some of you ain't getting it tonight. I'm telling you, some of you, God's going to remind you of the word that's been hidden in your life. And you're just going to get fired up, and you're going to be like, Lord, thank you for finding the word I lost and reminding me of the promises you made. And so I pray that for you in Jesus' name. Listen, we're going to move into water baptism. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's the first step for you. If you're here and you've never said yes to God's grace and God's love, I want you to know he loves every one of you all the way, all the time. There's nothing you could ever do or have ever done that will make Jesus love you less than he does right now. But what connects us to our creator is Christ. So when we come to Jesus, Jesus forgives us. He makes us his children. And it reconnects us to our creator. And so if you're here and you've never said yes to the grace of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity tonight to just say, Jesus, save me. I want to be your son or daughter. And so if you're here and you've never done that, or you're far from God, and tonight you need to recommit your life to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high. Come on, no shame. Say, Pastor Steve, tonight I want to say yes to Jesus. Tonight I want to give my life to Christ. Is there anybody here? Anybody here? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on, tonight's your night. I, need, I just need to say yes to Jesus. I came in in one situation, but I want to go out with a different heart, a different mind, a different life. I want you all to pray this. Say, Jesus, I give you my life because you gave me yours. You died on the cross. You took my sin. You took my shame so I could be yours. 
forgive me and give me the faith to follow you for the rest of my life in Jesus name come on couple you just give, gave your lives to Jesus come on we need to give them some some celebration